tell you what I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you what tell you what I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you what tell you what I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you what tell you what I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you what Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. My name is Mike, and you were just listening to the worldwide debut of our new podcast theme music, composed and recorded by Shane McLaughlin. Isn't it awesome? Let's listen again for a minute, in case you weren't paying attention. Tell you what, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you what, tell you what, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you what, tell you what. I'm gonna tell ya, I'm gonna tell you what, tell you what, I'm gonna tell ya, I'm gonna tell you what. It's so good, don't you think? You'll be humming that tune for the rest of the day. Shane did a bang-up job on that piece of music for us. He's available to work with you if you need some music commissioned, anything in that general area. You can reach him through Instagram at McLaughlin. Also at his website, shanemclaughlinmusic.com. Shane's a member of the band Buffalo Rose, favorites of ours here at Tell You What, so you can reach him via their website as well. I'll post his contact info links on the episode page of the podcast website. Okay, so our guest today for episode number 54 of Tell You What, the podcast, is Nashville musician and songwriter Gabe Lee. When I say Nashville musician, I mean Nashville born and raised, which I think is a first for this podcast. We've had lots of guests who have moved there, but Gabe has an interesting perspective on the town, having grown up there and seen the changes in Music City over the decades. Gabe's latest album, his fourth in four years, is called Drink the River, and it is chock full of superb songwriting and beautiful string band arrangements. It was interesting to hear Gabe talk about how he likes to change his approach on the various albums he has recorded, choosing for this one a more stripped-down sound. Gabe also spends some time talking about the community of musicians he is part of in Nashville and beyond, how important this community is to him, and how he tries to work to develop and enhance it. I happen to have an anecdote to share to back up Gabe's talk. I first saw Gabe play up at the Mile of Music Festival in Wisconsin just this year. I've talked about how awesome that festival is before, one reason being that they treat artists so well, and the musicians have time to hang and bond with their pals and other bands while they were all up there together. So the aforementioned band Buffalo Rose was also up at the fest, and the Buffalo Rose crew met up with Gabe. Both Buffalo Rose and Gabe were selected as part of the lineup for the fun Kayamo Cruise Journey Through Song next year. So they bonded over that, and I guess spent some time hanging out late night, and evidently some whiskey may have been involved. The reason I say this is that I heard from Buffalo Rose that they left Wisconsin, headed to Colorado for the next gig, and when they arrived at the venue, there waiting for them was a fresh bottle of whiskey which their brand new pal Gabe had called ahead and bought for them. Cool gesture for sure, and reinforces what Gabe talks about in our chat, about how he values this community of musicians, and he is so happy to be part of it. So do check out Gabe's new record, Drink the River. It is quite good. And as he says, no matter where you are, there's a decent chance he'll be coming near you on tour sometime the next year. So look out for that. For now, 
Enjoy this Tell You What discussion with Gabe Lee. Gabe Lee, welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to meet with us today. Yeah, tell you what, it is it is nice to drop in. Thanks for having me. Sure. Let's set the scene for our listeners. I'm currently in the Tell You What Studios Epiplex, high above the uh, teeming metropolis of Evanston, Illinois. You <laughs> are in Denver. Do I have that right? Yep, yep. I'm in a, I'm in a Hilton Garden. Uh, in Denver. <laughs> Hilton Garden, not literally a garden. <laughs> no, I wish. I wish. We're in, yeah, we're in Mile High City. Um, I'm on the road here with a couple friends this weekend. I'm opening for a, a great country rock band called Muscadine Bloodline. I'm just a support act, so it's just me and Mike used to guitar, and um, they're they're a blast. They're a great team. So that that's what's brought me out to um, Colorado, and, and we're even going to Utah um, on Sunday. Uh, so that's why I'm out here this weekend. Excellent. You seem to be on the road a lot. Is that something you're comfortable with, maybe drawn to, or is it just part of the life you have chosen to get your music out there and, and, and make a living? Oh, it's definitely both. Uh, it's uh, the, the last couple of years uh, are the first opportunities that I've, that I've you know, been given to really hit the road. And I've been doing a lot of booking myself and my managers, you know, we've, we've been kind of doing our own you know, booking and finding shows and whatnot. And this can range from, this can range from, from great tours, uh, headlining tours or, or even support acts for bigger bands to, to little private shows, like little backyard barbecues and playing in people's barns or people's back, back decks or whatever. So yeah. um, we've kind of, we've kind of done it all in the last couple of years and are hoping to do, you know, bigger and better and more. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it beats bartending on Broadway. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I absolutely, uh, absolutely, you know, love traveling. And I mean, geez, we, we went all the way to the UK um, this this past year, and we even went to Sweden for three weeks. Wow! Um, so we're constantly learning. Uh, it is a lot to get used to, for sure. Like being being away from family, dogs, girlfriends, those kind yeah. of things. Do I want to change the order there? You put your dog ahead of the. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I said I said it exactly how I meant. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there's always there's, there's. I don't think I'll ever get fully used to that. And geez, like if I ever. If I ever think about settling down and you know maybe having a family and all that, um, I'm very inspired by some of my my colleagues who who've been doing it for a long time, who managed to raise families and still be on the road and you know be rock stars, but also kind of live normal lives at home. Um, it's a it's a balance that uh, I will always be you know chasing, I guess. But right yeah. now we are we are full tilt on the road. We are all over the place. My Southwest uh, credit card has gone bonkers um and uh you know we're we're, we're not saying no to anything we're, we're, we're taking yeah. every show that we can we can get um because that's how it's kind of got to be good okay let's back up a little bit or a lot actually you were born and raised in nashville tennessee right we'll, we will get to that aspect in a bit but for now mm-hmm. let's talk about your musical life at home uh your mom is a talented musician do i have that right piano player yeah she's a great pianist and even a composer so there was always music around your house growing up. Oh yeah, and and you know we had um uh, one of my mom's you know prized possessions is her she has a little baby grand hmm. um, in the living room downstairs and so 
Yeah, I mean, she would play for the church, and she used to give piano lessons, um, and like I said, compose. So she was constantly uh, practicing uh, and writing, and it, it would not be out of the ordinary to wake up um, on a on a weekend morning, you know, and and hear hear music drifting upstairs. And it's very it's very comforting um, for me to you know go back to those kind of memories because it's absolutely where uh, love and respect for music began, uh, even yeah. though. You know, even though as a as a kid practicing practicing piano for two hours a day is not really <laughs> is not on every kid's to do list, but I absolutely uh, I absolutely am grateful uh, for for that you know training and that background today. So you you trained as a classical pianist. Yeah, it's 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 tough. I mean, classical music is beautiful and it's impressive. Um, it's such a great way to learn as far as like theory. Uh, however. Uh, it's it's very time consuming to to commit yourself to that that genre of of art of music. Uh, it's it's it requires so much commitment, dedication, practice time, um, and essentially being responsible for uh, learning the piece. Like if you're if you're in a symphony, right, or you know you're yeah. playing a concerto, or um, you know all these things. And and I always notice like in band. Um, or in choir growing up, like they, I'd always get recruited to play uh, the the support uh, piano for for like a church choir or something, and I would sing too. I felt like piano was kind of isolated because there's no yeah, when you're playing in a in a band, right? There's there's like first chair, second chair, third chair. Like you have a team or you have a rhythm section, yeah, uh, a, per- a percussion session, and the piano is always you know off on its lonesome, huh. and. Um, and I kind of was turned off by that too. So when I when I went to university, when I went to Belmont University for for piano performance, I gave it a I gave it a, a, a semester, and um, moved on to, to studying writing and journalism because uh, I was I was looking for something else. You know, I wanted to take my music education outside the the classroom, if you will. Yeah, let's stick with the piano for a second. You talk about your mother being a composer as well as a classical player um how do you look at the creative aspect if you were to compare it your the creative aspect of training as a classical pianist to what you do now as a singer songwriter are there any parallels you can draw uh melody you know melody is is paramount i think in, mm-hmm. in so many things and so my ear goes to melodies probably quicker than lyrics and um, there's when it, when it comes down to the writing process, I would say they kind of arrive simultaneously because I chew on things forever. Like I chew on things for weeks or months and years, and have maybe a hook or a line uh, that I've been waiting for a for a melody to come through on, or maybe I have that melody and I'm just waiting for a hook or a line, you know, some lyrics. So, but the classical training gave you a love for and a training in me- the melody aspect. Yeah, and and I would say like there there's if we're talking about like. Um, songs that uh, or pieces that pianists love to play like Chopin mm-hmm. you know just just great haunting beautiful melodies uh, it's not hard to play um, you know the left hand just provides a little bass cushion for the for the right hand melody just do its thing there's all these little trills and just very romantic emotional melodies and so you know that that's kind of where it starts for me I, I wish I could have just played little Chopin nocturnes my whole piano career and I would have been happy but you know I had to put you had to you had to progress and train and push on past that yeah Um, but when I think back to my piano classical piano days um, I think that is 
that's something that I'll always look back on fondly is those those like clean melodies from 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 composers like Chopin. That's interesting. At some point, you picked up the guitar. Yeah, I, I, my dad had a guitar lying around the house, but I don't think I really picked it up till middle school. My my buddies and I. We we didn't take guitar lessons or anything, you know. We would just pick up our dad's guitars and and play along to old uh, Leonard Skinner records or um, or CCR or the band, yeah. and um, you know, or just just try to learn, you know, uh, the Smoke on the Water riff or something, you know. And yes. and that that was kind of that was kind of the intro into into plucking on the guitar. Which, I mean, luckily being surrounded by um, my friends' parents records record catalogs like there was so much good music i didn't even know what i was listening to at the time you know my parents didn't listen to Leonard skinner um but when when i was out with my buddies and hanging out their houses which was like half my childhood um that's what that's what we were listening to a lot okay so was it the guitar that led you to start writing songs or had you been doing that on the piano i've been doing it a little bit uh but the guitar is so conducive to writing and even even today like the guitar is just so synonymous with folk music, country music, that when you're sitting down to write a song in that vein, um, you you just can't go wrong, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, playing the keys is something that I love to incorporate into into not only my live shows but also in the studio. And and uh, for instance, right now on the road with this band, they figured out I could play some piano, and so we we've kind of added it as a party trick at the end of their set, their headliner set. I'll come on and and play play like four or five songs on the piano with them and back them up. That must be fun. Oh, it's a blast! And so that's that's definitely where I feel at home musically in a lot of ways. Um, I don't have to think too much about like sitting down on a piano bench and, and plunking around. But write, writing is so much more intuitive uh, on an acoustic guitar for me generally. Um, and it's I think I think it might be the simplicity of it too because yeah. I'm not I'm not like a virtuoso guitar picker, <laughs> so like you hear the saying three chords and the truth is is uh, I think I think in some ways that definitely references the the simplicity and the humbleness the humble nature of an acoustic guitar and and only knowing a few chords like so you see some of these these guys Molly Tuttle Billy Strings that can just you know set the guitar on fire with the way they're playing and uh, it's it's very impressive even Molly I opened a few shows for Molly and she's like yeah like you know, notes, the, the amount of notes per minute that you can play is very cool, but like the song is still the most important thing. I think she was just trying to make me feel better. Uh, but, <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, yeah, but I, but I do appreciate that sentiment. And um, when I, when I do sit down to write, it's just, com- it's just comforting. Um, sometimes I'll pick up a mandolin or a banjo and just, you know, get a new perspective on, on a song or a melody that I'm working on. And, and that's helpful too. But you will rarely go to the piano when you're writing. Uh, not necessarily. You know, I'll, I'll hop on it. Uh, sometimes I'll try. I'll try songs like a million different ways. You know, just I'll move all the way up and down the you know the scale and try to figure out what the best key is. And okay. And sometimes, like I said, I'll hop onto a mandolin and see if that changes. Uh, you know, where I'm singing the melody. And uh, for my Americana Fest this past um, this past September, uh, I played my entire set um, from center stage piano. I, I led the band. From the piano, like you know, Billy Joel style. Yeah, and I and I want to incorporate that more because um, every Americana act these days has an acoustic guitar at the front. Right. Very few rock bands, hardly anymore, or country bands have a piano player sitting in the front leading the band. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think that's a tradition that is very badass as long as you have someone that can pull it off. Um, and I'd like to you know keep working on that. 
And room in your rent a car for the piano. Ah, jeez. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's definitely it's definitely a pain in the butt to get around. Um, yeah. But it's part of the culture of being a touring musician. Like, and and we're not we're not at a point to where we have roadies or people that'll help us move our crap. It's just we just you just got to do it yourself, and that's part of earning it too. Um, so uh, right now, I yeah, right now I I've, I rent a vehicle to travel with. Um, and bring a band around. I'll, I'll usually go and rent a, a minivan or like a, you know, like a twelve passenger Ford Transit or something. Yep. I foresee in my future that um, my own little truck that I ride around in a lot is not going to uh, take much more. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll probably I'll probably upgrade to like a Sprinter or something down the road because that's super popular among among uh, road dogs these days. Yep. Um, you know, so I'll be I'll be doing that until the uh, the money for the tour bus comes in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right, so let's go back again. You you talked about starting to study piano in college, then you stopped. So when did you start writing your own music and performing your own songs in public? When did that transition happen? My buddies and I were writing in middle school because I, I remember we had talent shows and all that, and my buddies and I, uh, we knew one song, uh, and it was Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. Um, and we played we played that for like three years um, at every talent show, but <laughs> we did end up writing. And uh, I was writing and then like delivering the the melody and the lyrics to to our lead singer. I wasn't the lead singer; I was just the piano player. You know, he would take it and put his own spin on it, and it was it was pretty good. And and uh, and in high school, there was a I went you know I went to high school in in Nashville, like heart of Nashville downtown, pretty much. And we had a great internship program for a couple of weeks and. I went to hang out at a local music label uh, on Music Row. I had a song called like something. It was called Something to Live For. Yeah. And I and I and I wrote that and and recorded it with these with these dudes who, you know, they were probably just looking for um, you know some sort of charitable work or like I don't know some kind of tax exempt right off by participating <laughs> in this internship program. But um, they were so sweet. They invited me in. I, I was there for like a couple days. They created a demo, a work tape of my song. Uh, for me and played along with it and sang along with it and uh that's great that was a really cool a very cool experience yeah as like a junior in high school you know and i had you know fucking snot-nosed kid i had no idea what i was doing i was <laughs> i do you know i had written songs and i had been performing them here and there uh but it really performing was also different to me like by definition because i was so used to playing in like recitals and, and you know music concerts and, yeah um jazz band and concert band and all that so i you know, we were always on and off the stage, um, you know, even playing in church, like, you know, singing in the choir and all that. So I was always being dragged to one stage or another. And I think the serious writing didn't happen till I had serious inspirations that, that probably came along in, in college and, and post-college when I, was, when I was really delving into the writings of, of Paul Simon, Jeff Tweedy, uh, John Prine, Jim Croce, like actually listening to what these folk singers had to say. Yeah. You kind of led me into another question here when you talked about that internship in high school. I've interviewed a number of guests who make their musical home in Nashville. I think you are the first townie I've had, born and raised there. (laughs) I tossed around different ways to talk about this, but let's keep it simple. Can you talk about maybe the pros and cons or some pros and cons as a songwriter, musician, of having grown up in Nashville? I would say that as as a local... There's definitely the occasional get off my lawn mentality, yeah. right? I mean, you got you got so many people moving in, and and folks, you know, folks are moving here for for reasons besides music too. I mean, there's there's jobs and there's a lot of youth 
there's a lot of appeal. Uh, and then, and then of course you got the tourist trade and, and the busyness of, of your, of your local hometown, which 25, 30 years ago was a completely different town. Right. Right. Um, and, and the busyness of that is definitely a little distracting at times, but, uh, I, I still, you know, I maintain that like, regardless of, of, you know, kind of the, the tourism aspect of a growing town, like, I mean, Nashville is still one of the best towns on the planet to be a songwriter, to be a musician and, and to come here and there's no guaranteed success. There's no guaranteed dream making that's happening here, but there is a guarantee that you're going to be motivated and you're going to be challenged. If you can take that challenge and turn it into inspiration, um, then this is, this is the town for you. But you know, people talk about how Nashville beats them down and how the industry's a grind and there's a bunch of sellouts and, 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 and your people are using everybody. And it's like, yeah, is that's every, that's every business. Yes. It's every business guys. Um, yeah, I, well, this, another thing I say, Mike, like if people weren't moving here with, with a guitar and a few hundred bucks of savings and trying to like get in writer's rooms and, and make it, then the dream, the, the dream would be dead. Right. But, but the dream is very much alive because people are doing that like this moment. Somebody, some, some kid is packing up his or her guitar right now, moving to Nashville and wanting to become the next Luke Combs or the next Lenny Wilson. And, and that's, that's good for music. Uh, I think that's, I think that's great for the music community and great for music in general. Yeah, that's great. Um, I want to talk about your process a little more. Let's do it by, um, discussing this most recent album of yours. This great album, Drink the River, your fourth studio record, right? great sounding record when i compare it to your previous work i see differences in both style that is the musical presentation but also in the substance of the songs themselves let's talk about the style first this one is relatively stripped down musically right you've assembled a string band here bluegrass instrumentation amazing musician musicianship um, so how did you come to this decision in terms of stripping it down a bit we were going back into studio last winter simply to try some things out. I'd, I'd had a kind of a, a, a want and a desire to create a more rootsy folk driven um, string, string band sound anyways. And, and that when I tour, uh, I'm, I'm honestly playing usually with a trio or, a, or, you know, a trio of a myself on acoustic, a bass player, a, a slide player, and then occasionally a fourth who's a, who's a fiddle player. Very much, very much like our good friends, Buffalo Rose, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that, you know, because you can, you can deliver a lot of really great energy with just a string band. Yeah, and I was wanting to go back into the studio and create something more similar to, to that vibe instead of, instead of the alt-rock and the more honky-tonk stuff that I worked on in the past. And, and you know, the, the, the motivation uh, to, to create music that's not all the same, too, is important to me. And right. I think folks... I think folks look at some of the past records and they say like, wow, Gabe's really like, you know, he's really jumped off, you know, the edge here. And now he's, now he's swinging all the way back to, to bluegrass and folk. And like, can he, can he focus on one thing? And the answer is, you know, probably no, <laughs> uh, because, because I, because I enjoy it so much. And also like, I pose the question, uh, you know, back to the, back to the listeners. If you were a, if you're an author, would you write the same book over and over again? Right. Um, if you were a painter, would you paint the same painting over and over again? No. Um, and so Nashville, you know, again, chock full of pickers and great players. And I, I just hit up my buddy, Jason Roller, who he plays electric guitar in, in a band you might've heard of called Alabama. Yeah. Um, he is also, uh, a 
bluegrass savant. He was born with a fiddle in his hand, pretty much, and uh, a lot of the uh, fiddle and mandolin banjo that you hear on my records um, in the past, if you've heard any any of those things happening, it's probably Jason Roller. Mm. So Jason invited his buddy Eamon, who all, who plays with uh, two artists you may have heard of called Rodney Crowell and Emmylou Harris, and uh, Eamon and Jason, they play in the Opry Band. They're members of the, the Grand Ole Opry House Band. So um, wow. they're in, insanely great players, um, you know, needless to say. And I invited, I invited them both into the studio last winter to help me flesh out this record. We knew it was going to be stripped down. We knew there wasn't going to be any electric guitar. I think the only electric thing we have on it might be, um, might be some steel. Uh, and we ended up, uh, you know, creating, they ended up helping me create a phenomenal, uh, woody, you know, dark rootsy sound, uh, for this, for this record that touches on a lot of difficult stories and a lot of darker issues. Uh, and, and I think it was appropriate because the nuances of bluegrass, uh, picking allows for some of these stories to stand out because the craft, you know, the, the tradition of storytelling and bluegrass and folk music like that from the you know, from the Appalachians to the, you know, to the swamps, uh, that kind of acoustic, um, haunting, you know, you know, music and melodies are, uh, meant to tell a story. Yes. Uh, and, and, uh, and that, and by, and by kind of, you know, giving the rhythm section a break, like giving the drums a break, giving the organ a break, giving the electric guitar, you know, a, a record off, uh, it felt really good. And it kind of, um, you know, it felt like coming out of, you know, a storm a little bit, you know, things kind of more clear and I could focus more you know i could i could work on being a better singer and lyricist and allowing myself to kind of work on those things as well was was really helpful but it, you know players like that that you know if you if you're interested in checking out the record drink the river like if you're just listening to it for the first time these are phenomenal players and they make me sound a lot better <laughs> i'll say that i'll tell you it does sound amazing the arrangements are just beautiful you, you started to get into um, this other area where I see the differentiation from your previous work, and that is in the subject matter. You seem here maybe to be more focused on telling other people's stories with this record rather than maybe the personal observation or personal stories from your previous work. Do I have that right? Absolutely. I, I was kind of collecting stories from people in my past and and people that I've worked with. Uh, this is this is mostly. Uh, uh, kind of like my community growing up in Nashville, and then also my experiences working, uh, you know, tending bar in, in Nashville, and and also my my recent kind of uh, time on the road and and meeting all these great music communities um, and experiencing what the music has 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 done for some of these music communities. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily just my own, but um, occasionally, yeah, on a very personal level, we get folks that that share about what they're going through. If I'm, you know, meeting someone after a show or meeting someone at the merch table, and um, every once in a while, yeah, we get we get folks who you know are are wide open about you know what's what's been going on in their lives and 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 how important music is to them. And so I felt that it was appropriate to make the you know make the record more comprehensive by focusing pretty much completely on on the stories written written by others yeah. or told by others and and throwing my own you know spin on it, obviously, but. Um, and that's something I've always enjoyed. You know, even among some of my my own work that is maybe more you know fictional, or there's usually a, a spin of like, hey, you know, I've I've felt this before, even though I've never actually lived it. Yeah. Um, I felt something very similar to this, so the emotions are real, but the stories may not be completely 100 percent true. Right. Uh, on drink on drink the river, uh, these stories are are the closest to truth that 
you know, I've, I've ever told. Hmm. All right. I want to, I want to get into the weeds of, of the process of songwriting a little bit as we discuss this further, this storytelling aspect, using some of these songs as a guide. I want to talk about point of view in songwriting, right? In your previous songs, previous albums, you sang from first person perspective, right? The point of view you were just talking about yourself, the narrator, even if the songs aren't true, they were theoretically from the perspective of the songwriter singing the song, right? But now you're telling someone else's story. And to do that, you could use third person format, right? There is this person, I will now tell you about them and their life. But in a couple of these songs, you choose to take first person perspective. You sing from the point of view of this other person, right? And this is a creative choice you are making. And I think it's interesting and worth talking about. It happens a lot less than people might realize in songwriting because I think it's really hard to pull off very well. And you do that here. I think of like Bruce Springsteen doing this, maybe Randy Newman, of course, John Prine, right? With with uh, Angel from Montgomery. So this is something you could have taken in a couple of different directions. Let's take the song Marigold, dig into this a little. This is song from the perspective of a husband who's losing his wife uh, to cancer, right? So can you talk about the decision to write from this perspective? Was it difficult? Did the story just present itself that way to you? Did you consider doing it a different way? It felt like the situation dictated the way the story was going to be told, in, at least in my, in my writer's brain. So I, I've, met, I've met this couple before, and the husband is now you know, the only one left. I mean, him and the kids, they're, they're the survivors. You know, and, and so when I, when I met them about a year and a half ago now, it was his story, you know. It, it was it was his story that he was telling, and and I felt that pretty deeply. And I wanted also to communicate through recording a song like this, somebody else's story. Um, is that this situation is not simply limited to to a little family in a in a nowhere town, you know, Marigold, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. This is something that people all across the world have experienced, uh, this type of loss. And so I would say that I, I, I probably naturally moved towards singing from a first person on this song because I know the husband and I know, you know, I know, him, I know him better than I, than I knew his, his wife. Uh, and so his perspective also was probably something that I felt like I could put the voice uh, put a voice to better. And, uh, I think it makes it more personal. Definitely. Yeah. And that, and that's another reason why this, this record in, in general, this record is seeking to invite folks and listeners to explore their empathy, uh, and, and dig in, you know, to their, to their, to their sympathies and their, and their empathy to, to understand that, you know, it could be a, a a house down the road. It could be a house on the other side of the world. There are people, you know, within these communities uh, that have experienced the same joy and love and loss and despair that you have, uh, and and hopefully that you know that makes the world a bit of a smaller place uh, within these within stories like like this one, like Marigold and, and others on this record. Last spring, you cleaned out the cast iron. You hung it up. I've been hungry ever since Nothing fills me up no more Drinking sucks 
cars me up just thinking about it Wish I could take you driving We'd roll into town See the Christmas lights up on the square Watching the sun go down Setting fire to the air No honey, we ain't gotta go anywhere Time to time we all lose something But it ain't worth nothing to me Like this all broken Lord, if you can hear me I swear to leave you alone Please pick up the phone I want you to know You can take me when she goes Marigold Another first-person perspective song, Light a Cane, follows Marigold on this record. Um, you really hit us with the feels with this one-two punch, by the way. I think that's what the kids say. Yeah, hit us in the feels. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for sure, for sure. Tell us the story behind this song, and then maybe you can show us the progression of how a song like this comes together. You have the thread of this person's story from, uh, you can tell us, but I think from a relatively brief interaction but then you build a story from that. Maybe you can walk us through that. Yeah, this one is definitely uh, a sto- uh, inspired by an interaction I had in an Uber uh, because I was headed to the hospital. My girlfriend's a travel nurse. Uh, and so I was flying in to, to Phoenix, Arizona, where my, where my, where my girlfriend was working. And uh, I, I asked the Uber to take me to the hospital. So I'd go you know, meet her for lunch. And, you know, every once in a while, you'll get an Uber driver that, like, is super talkative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes sometimes you get ones that are, you know, that are just, like, taxi drivers and they don't say anything. Like, um, But this one in particular, she mentioned that she'd actually, like, just been at the hospital, you know, earlier in the week. The same one that she was dropping me off at. And she had a terrible diagnosis that she had early onset dementia mm. and you know as a as a as a listener in the back of her uber ride like i i mean what what am i what do you say like you're just like holy shit you know um and uh but sitting in the back of this this ride i'm you know this for some reason this lady is telling me about her her personal life experience about how she how it's very likely that she won't be able to recognize anyone or anything uh, within the next 10 years and, and her mind will slowly start to, you know, slip away, which is just a terrible thought. And something that as a, as any, as any human, like is, is terrifying. So that emotion from hearing that story inspired me to sit down eventually and write the song Lidocaine. Uh, It's definitely, it's a song that's packed with emotion and, and I, and I attached a lot of my own sort of like living and life to it. Um, I kind of imagined what it would be like, you know, if uh, essentially I left home and never came back. Like that's kind of what dementia is to right. me. Like you know, you're you're gone and 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 there's you know there's a ghost of you, um, you know, but you're not you're not yourself anymore. You're not there anymore. And 
um, I attach some some personal living to it. As, you know, like what what would I tell my mom? You know, what would I tell my brother or my dad? Uh, because it, her story to me was so compelling that um, I, I chewed on it for for weeks and months. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's it, life. Life is life is confusing at times. Um, I mean, all the time. <laughs> and uh, if uh, as a, as a writer, uh, being staying inspired is the most important thing. And and that's why I. I would say I source uh, stories and inspiration from everywhere that I possibly can, um, and 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 sometimes and sometimes that means you know you you find you stumble upon a lot of sadness and confusion um, and depression. This is what I discovered on 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 the record and putting this record together is, you know, so many folks out there are just dealing are just dealing with crap, and it's okay, it's all right. If if we can if we can engage with listeners and remind them of some of these things that may feel like differences, but they're actually I think from my perspective uh, they could they have the power to, to bring people together yeah um, in in, a, in emotion and in empathy I think that is why these stories have found their way onto this record and you know when we sat down to record it was you know three or four songs a couple like a cover or two and and uh, all of a sudden you know working with these these uh, stream players I was like oh I have I have all these other songs like you know that I haven't that I've just touched on you know a little bit here and there that I, I should probably finish up and and see if you know they would work with this t- you know this genre that we're creating this kind of like folk bluegrass vibe and um, you know I think I think we succeeded yeah you sure did ain't no tell where I'll be when the sun come up tomorrow So make me laugh Make me cry Read me something happy from the Bible Lord, I know I'm not insane Just I took the turn off memory things I love about your music particularly this album is the way the lyrics flow so beautifully within the songs as a very amateur songwriter myself I know how difficult it can be to fit the words you want to say particularly when you come up with like a line or two that you really love to fit them into the flow of the songs rhythm and the melodies but your song sounds so natural the words just kind of cascade out it's almost like magic it seems like a combination of lyric fitting and choosing the right words, right? But also, very importantly, the phrasing that you're using. Is this something you work at? Do you have any secret tricks that make it seem so effortless and work so well? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big reader. Uh, I love, I love uh, collections of short stories. Um, I read them like, like a Bible, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because I, there's, two, there's two authors, um, Ron Rash. Um, Ron Rash, amazing Southern folklore writer. And then there's a... There's an author named Frank Bill. I don't really know much about, but he has a he has a collection of short stories called Crimes in Southern Indiana. And 
man, short stories accomplish so much within, you know, 10 pages. Yeah. And you don't have 400 pages to, to tell a plot and develop a character and, and have, uh, have rising, you know, and rising and falling action or whatever, the things you learn in literature class. Um, and short stories pull those off uh, so well within their within the uh, a concise amount of words that I've I've really fallen in love with with reading these specifically Ron Rash and Frank Bill because um, short stories to me feel like tracks on a record hmm. um, and there doesn't necessarily have to be a full you know beginning and end life story uh, of the characters you're kind of just plopping in and living it for four minutes and 15 seconds yeah and then and then and then you're at again and and isn't that why people turn on music and you know in general is to is to feel something for a little bit and enjoy you know joy or or despair whatever it is and 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 to feel and and feel like you've been you know taken away from your own emotions for for the the length of a record or even just the length of a song uh I'm learning and, and, and I'm learning to be inspired by, by these great writers who uh, have are, are adept at not just not just storytelling, but adept at phrasing and delivering words on on paper, uh, written typed words. Yeah. And that's very, very similar to songwriting. But they don't have to fit them, fit them into the framework of the song, though. That is the that's the next level of the trick. Man, it's a it's a challenge and it's fun sometimes, sometimes. And, and all writers uh, will say this, like sometimes it, it happens in, in one sitting, like, you know, sometimes you can write a song in like 20 minutes and then sometimes you'll grapple with it. And, and I've grappled with a couple songs on past records. Um, well, uh, this, there's a song on the record called even Jesus uh, got the blues. And, uh, I first wrote the, like the chorus of that probably four years ago. Wow. And it, you know, just worked on it. I would, I'd pick it up and I'd put it down. I'd pick it up and I and I'd hate it and I'd put it down. But I, I kept it around. Like I, I kept going back to it because I knew, I knew there was something to it that I I enjoyed and that I that I could work with, if I uh, if I learned enough about songwriting or learned enough about what the story was I was trying to tell. Coming along now, on muddy feet, crossing the church yard. As far as as far as taking time to write songs, for me it's always been okay because you know I I wouldn't go back to a song idea or a voice memo from like two years ago unless unless I, I felt like there was something worth mining and exploring and, and developing. So, um, but again, sometimes 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 a song will fall in your lap and you're like, man, I'm a freaking genius, you know? Like you, you sit down and a, a song comes out in 20 minutes and and you feel good about it, you know? Don't you feel like we were talking about the the Nashville publishing deal where these people get together and write a song in a day. Don't you sometimes wonder how much better one of those songs could have been if someone had taken a few weeks or months to make it, <laughs> make it what it could have become? Sure. I mean, yeah, possibly. Uh, there's the, the Nashville songwriting pipeline. There's like 20, 30, 30 guys, you know, that, and, and, and girls that have, secured 
like the the formula. Yes. Right. The formula for for writing a, a hit country song and which changes um, over time, but they keep figuring it out, right? Yeah. Well, they're also kind of creating the trend as they're riding the wave. Yes. But then you see folks like Luke Combs and Lainey Wilson that can do that, but also hold a lot of respect um, for their predecessors and and the the, the style of, of country singing that came before bro country and, and all that, commercial country. I think in general, we're in a really good spot for Americana folk. I mean, geez, like, you know, just in the past 10 years, like all these inc- incredible Americana artists just coming out of the woodwork, you know? Yes. Like, I think we're in a great spot for music and... I think I think for a while there, I think before Randy Carlisle, before Jason Isbell, before Chris Stapleton, it, it was a little dicey, and and we're all like, oh geez, like man, is it just going to be like, uh, what what's that what's that clothing brand Ed Hardy? Like it's just going to be Ed Hardy, like <laughs> like country bros, like is it going to be Florida Georgia Line for the rest of existence? Um, it turns out that you know, damn, like we're, we're like. The genre is actually chock full of amazing writers and singers and players that, you know, they just they just needed a they just needed a different uh field to play in. And and that was the Americana genre that that has now become so, you know, extraordinarily prevalent and powerful. Well, I like that optimistic message and I, I am in agreement with you. I think there is a lot going on out there that is great and I I am optimistic about the future of this area of music too. All right, Gabe, I think we have time for maybe one more question, kind of a bigger picture question, if we can. You've been pretty productive by today's industry standards, fourth record in about four years, lots of touring. We've talked about how this record is different from your previous ones, maybe an evolution of sorts. When you think about where you have come in that relatively short period of time, where you think you might be headed, as a creative person, is there anything you think you've gotten better at or maybe something or some things you're actively working on? getting better at yeah and i you know what i'm inspired a lot by is is my community of songwriters in nashville i i kind of came up with uh a dozen maybe maybe two dozen like local writers right who who all moved here from elsewhere and we all kind of came up playing the same songwriter rounds all the time and that was that was just how it had to be done and it's still the way it has to be done you know you just go to every open mic and every Every gig that you can, every round that you can get yourself on is is good, um, and you know none of these none of these pay, and it's usually in a loud honky tonk bar, um, yeah. but but it's how it's how we've we've all become kind of trained as storytellers and songwriters in the Nashville scene, and that's something that the the Nashville songwriter round scene does very well. Um, being part of a music community is the best thing that has ever happened to me, and and somehow the folks in my little friend group have always cheered for each other mm-hmm. and champion championed each other's music go you know gone to each other's shows uh and even when you know even when we're out on the road you know maybe my buddy ben will be like on in the next town over and, and if i'm if i'm playing a gig tomorrow maybe i'll swing through and try to see him you know stuff like that so much fun um uh, and i will say it nashville you know is a very is a very positive pretty uplifting music community in my opinion uh yeah it, yeah there's definitely a lot of competition there's there's definitely some nature of like you know only so many of us you know have an opportunity to to get to the next level like some some people have to wait longer than others to get you know those opportunities to shine and then when the opportunity comes you know you you shine your heart out um so uh i will say that one thing myself and my team has gotten better at uh is essentially 
continuing to support uh, all the all the other writers and all the other songwriters and artists uh, that I consider my close friends, and um, and promoting them as much as as much as we promote ourselves, you know, because uh, when when I when I see my buddies, um, you know, succeeding, um, I try to I try to you know support them and as much as I can, and and yeah, sometimes that's performative, sometimes that's making a post on social media and hoping hoping your fans you know will hop onto their train and and, and go support your friends too yeah. uh, but most most importantly it's like my buddy Vinny Vinny released a record last night and he's he's like one of those writers that's a fixture in the Nashville like independent writing community and and he just put out a record last night and you know I I'm on the road but the first thing I do is you know is give him a text right at 11:30 p.m. when the song when the when the record drops and you know tell him congrats and um, and then try to try to get people to impe- other people in on it because you know the Nashville network is so powerful. Like you could, you know, the degrees of separation are incredible. Like one person saying sending one text could lead you to your next gig. Um, and so I, I, I was all that all that to say like if there's something that we've we've gotten better at um, or improving on and hope to improve on um, is yeah fo- is fostering fostering that community that like that we don't just you know, sit around and, and kind of congratulate ourselves and pat, your, pat each other on the back that like really it's it's about going out and being at your buddy's shows and, and supporting them and um, yeah, yeah act truly fostering like, you know, a community in Nashville that people can, I guess, uh, feel at home at and, and feel like they can trust people. So yeah, the Nashville music community, that that is that is something that I'll, I'll always, you know, continue to work with and, and um and hopefully make more inviting to, to everybody that, that moves there with a guitar and a dream. I'll tell you, I, I have interviewed a number of people who, who make Nashville their musical home, mostly in the Americana scene. And, and what you're talking about um, might surprise some people, but I do get this consistent story about the community of people and the support networks that the artists have created and how they lean on each other and support each other. And, and it's it's great to hear it. And I, like I say, I think a lot of people outside the music industry might be surprised that there is this cooperation and this community building, and, and and I just think it's great, and it's and it's good for the for everyone. It makes your life easier and happier, but it also yeah. creates opportunities for you, like you said. So totally, it's, it's great to hear you say that. All right, Gabe, I think I've taken up enough of your time. I really appreciate you sitting down with us today. Um, everyone should go listen to this great record, "Drink the River," and they should go. Try and find you on tour. It shouldn't be hard. 150 dates a year, right? <laughs> we're we're probably coming near or or through your town. So look us up.